Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary. We are a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And this week we're continuing in season five of Buffy and season two of Angel. We watched Real Me, which was the second episode of Buffy, and Are You Now or Have You Ever Been for Angel? I was going to try and turn that into like, are you, how have you been? (laughs) But then I was like, wait, that's not what that, that's not what the sentence is. (laughs) But how are you? I'm good. Also, Um, are you a communist? Just kidding. Am I a, oh, am I a communist? That's the reference, that's the reference of that episode title. Oh, I'm I'm jumping um, the gun, but it's a McCarthy era. That makes sense because they were showing the McCarthy stuff on TV in in the background. Okay. I made note of that in my notes and like didn't even make the connection. So I obviously had to research it to figure it out because I don't know anything, (laughs) but, and I was just reading an article about the, um, like the socialist wave in the young Democrat party. Oh, funny. (laughs) So I was like, wait, me? What? No. (laughs) I can, I know what you've been up to on your Google searches. (laughs) I was like, that's a little creepy. (laughs) Um, No, I'm not a communist. Okay. And um, otherwise I'm fine. Okay. Um, I was telling Jenny before we started recording, I made quite a baking project yesterday. I made a flag cake, so I'm pretty exhausted. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to see your pictures. It sounds like they're going to be cool. Yes, I'm I'm hoping they turned out okay. Um, it, it's like one of those things where like it never translates as well in photos as mm-hmm. in person. But It sounds like you set them up cool, though, your pictures, so. Yeah, setup and execution, though, are two different <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm um, sure they're nice. Yeah, but otherwise I'm excited. It's, I think, going to be like a nice weekend. I'm just going to like relax and... yeah. Not be at work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How are you? Getting over an illness. So also excited to relax this weekend. Apologies if I sound weird or if I cough throughout the whole episode. I'm trying not to. It won't be like suggesting stop talking about that. (laughs) I really need to clear my throat now. Okay, there we go. But yeah, I'm we're cat sitting for our friend's cat for like a month. So you're not DC- posting enough photos. I will tell you that. <laughs> you did tell me that. I, first of all, you were not who I expected to get that remark from. And also <laughs> it was just, I thought about it and I was like, if you just post like 10 cat pictures a day, people are going to unfollow you. <laughs> so I'm trying That's to like. stories are for. You just well, I know, go away. I, they're only going in my stories for now. Because otherwise I think it's going to look like I got a cat and I don't feel right. like dealing with that it already probably looks like that but i um, i mean i know who this cat is but yeah i would like to see more photos of him because okay. he's very cute he is you <laughs> and know his uh, owners but, never post that much about i him know either, so yeah i hope they listen to this yeah. they don't <laughs> no <laughs> um but he is really really cute and he's really photogenic but i was also like i took 30 pictures of him last night and it was just like the lighting in my apartment was so bad that i was like you can't even see his face in a lot of them and like so that was part of why i didn't post them because they just didn't look good but then i caught him doing some really cute things um but yeah i mean he's still adjusting i think he's feeling okay but i think he's definitely like wondering where his parents are (laughs) poor guy how long Um, are you guys sitting for until like july 20th oh wow yeah so we're gonna have him for a while He's found some favorite spots already. I finally got him to play with some of his toys this morning, too, which was exciting. Um, but in general, I mean, I think he needs to get the lay of the land before he'll be like, uh, you know, he's definitely relaxing, I think, more each day. Um, so that's good. 
but he also begs for food constantly. <laughs> like the first day he was here, he didn't really do it. And now he's just like constantly. We have like, a, they have a little automatic cat feeder. And I've seen other cats do this too. It's like, he just reaches his little paw up there and tries to knock pieces of food out of it. But like, it's like his favorite hobby. <laughs> I think I did know that about him because mm-hmm. I've, I've heard stories about Ollie trying to steal his food. Mm-hmm. I think um, Wombat does it too. Does it you, work? Like, is he getting stuff out of there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not like whole servings, but he'll get a p- few pieces out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like he'll do it like 20 minutes after I fed him. I'm like, you're acting like we're starving you. I guess this is just what cats do, though. My parents' cats do that, too. I mean, they don't have an automatic feeder. Otherwise, they would obviously be doing that no, as they, well. They, but they, they spend just a lot of time food. sitting yeah. in front of their food bowls and yeah, just, like, exactly. meowing. <laughs> if you go into the kitchen, they follow you because they think that's where their food bowls are. And they're like, oh, if you're going in there, it must be to feed me. And Ollie's doing the same thing. It's like every While time you're I walk here. into the kitchen, he's like, oh, food time. No. <laughs> anyway, but it's fun. I do have to vacuum my couches today. <laughs> yeah. This has got a little cat fur, but... <sighs> But yeah, so that's that's what I'm up to. Cool. And it's getting it's really hot here today, so we'll see how I it, it's not too bad in our apartment, but the fun I should talk about this probably every time we record when it's hot is that like I can't have my fan or my AC on because it picks up the microphone picks it up and they're both pretty loud, so I just have to turn them off and like hope that I've cooled down the room enough. This is why you talk about the weather a lot, because it directly exactly. affects your recording <laughs> exactly. conditions. <laughs> I have to wear the over, over-ear headphones when we record, so it's like they make my ears kind of sweaty. It's just like a whole, yeah. it's You're a like, whole if, thing. If I'm panting in the background, it's because <laughs> Don't I'm mind overheating. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about these, epi- these episodes. Me too. I a lot more happy than I was. Both. Same. And a lot more than last week. I think for whatever reason, those first two episodes were just kind of lackluster. Also, I was like getting sick and hungover last week, so that... Maybe you had something to do with my energy levels. <laughs> but mostly, be. I think they were just kind of lackluster. And these ones were a lot more like interesting and they are introducing better and more interesting concepts, I think. So, yeah. I feel like also, Are You Now or Have You Ever Been could be the oh. title for Real Me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not in the same like context. But right. But it yeah. Works. Yeah. Like, I mean, are and you I, now or have you ever been? here <laughs> so spo- like spoiler alert though this is probably one of my my favorite episodes of angel like i really really like that episode i liked real me but i really liked angel it's it's like, one i, I don't have anything remember. bad to like, say about oh, it the one yeah. where they get the hotel oh it's just so cool like everything about it worked so not to jump the gun we'll talk about buffy first but we could go out of order no <laughs> No, we couldn't. It's <laughs> not allowed. Um, well, should we talk about Real Me? Yeah, yeah. AKA sure. a very meta episode about Dawn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I actually, we could talk about that, but that's one of my favorite things about the episode too. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I think the show knows exactly what it's doing. Yes. Um, but this is the episode where we meet Dawn, essentially, mm-hmm. who we only briefly saw at the end of the previous episode where there's the big twist of Buffy now has a little sister. And in this one, you know, Dawn's narrating. We find out that she, her name is Dawn, first of mm-hmm. all. And we see at the beginning, we see the bit of the dynamic between Dawn and everyone around her. Like, she's definitely playing that little sister role to Buffy, kind of annoying her. But she's obviously been there. Um, <clears throat> she knows all of Buffy's friends. She knows Riley and Xander and Willow and you know, maybe doesn't know everything about their relationships, but mm-hmm. has definitely clearly spent a lot of time with them. She's 
getting in the way of Buffy's training and all of that. And I think it all sets it up very well. Like, she's clearly here, Buffy's little sister. And Mm -hmm. so the episode, Buffy has to take Dawn with her when she goes um, on an errand with Giles. And they find the owner of the magic shop dead. Mm -hmm. And sets off a whole thing of trying to figure out who killed the owner of the magic shop. But also, Giles decides he's going to buy the magic shop and run it to give him something to do. And meanwhile, they find out that the person responsible for killing the magic shop owner was this new gang of vampires in town led by (laughs) none other than Harmony, (laughs) our favorite. And she has, of course, as they all do, this elaborate plan to kill the Slayer, Mm -hmm. which obviously, for good reason, nobody takes seriously. Yeah. (laughs) Um, She comes to Buffy's house and, uh, you know, attempts to call her out, essentially. And Xander and Anya, who are babysitting Dawn, just kind of laugh at her and... um, Everybody's a little bit like, oh, haha, isn't this funny? Harmony thinks she's evil. But Dawn accidentally invites Harmony into the house mm-hmm. and so sets up a possibility where Harmony can enter. And in fact, Buffy gets really mad at Dawn for this and Dawn runs out of the house and gets kidnapped by mm-hmm. Harmony's minions. And Buffy has to go, you know, find her, take out the minions and rescue Dawn. Yeah. But... I mean, not not that much really happens in this episode, but what it is is, like, more of just a, I think, like, kind of a meta commentary on, like, yeah, oh, there's, there's this new character, character, and she's always been here, and this is how we're going to tell you about it and how it right, works. Right, right. We also see an instance where Dawn is um, on the, when she's waiting outside the magic shop, she encounters right. um, this guy who's clearly, like, out of his mind. But he looks at her and he says, you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And this is the first instance of what we'll see is sort of a running theme for a while of kind of mm-hmm. crazy people encountering Dawn and recognizing her as something off. Yeah. Which we as viewers know to be true, even though yes. everybody in the show is acting like she belongs there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was a very rambly summary, but again, no, like, I think there's that not good. a ton of plot. It's mostly yeah. just like her interactions with the different characters and... You know, we yeah. see some old friends, but... I mean, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, so, I mean, yeah, it's mostly just, so, like, everybody saying, like, you're Dawn and you're here. My reaction to this episode was that, I mean, first of all, I think, like, on a in a very, like, kind of in a more technical way, it's, like, really perfect. You know, like you were saying, like, the way that they make it clear that Dawn has always been here, but then also are telling us everything we need to know to like catch us up about her the way that they nod to us, the viewer knowing that she hasn't been in the show, but balance that with her, everyone in the show feeling as though she's always been there for whatever reason, you know, which they haven't explained to us yet. I feel like that stuff. And then like setting up these complicated, you know, family dynamics between Buffy, her mom and Dawn. I think like that stuff was just like on point. I think what's, Equally accurately, well, okay, I have a lot to say about this, but what's, it was, a, it's, I didn't like this episode as much as Angel, though, because, like, as, because it's pretty accurate, I think, to, like, these dynamics that I alluded to, you know, we see a lot of unpleasantness from Don yeah. and Buffy. That's yeah. like, oh, I, it's completely believable, it's very necessary to show it, but it's not, like, fun to watch, you know what I mean? Like, it's not super fun for me to watch Don just be a total brat. And, an, and like an idiot sometimes, but it's also not fun to watch Buffy. You know, it's kind of like Buffy's worst side comes out in parts of this episode as well. But I, well, I'm when we've so seen glad Buffy that doesn't they, like to share. And yeah, this and is a whole mini episode that basically re reenacts all of Buffy's roommate issues. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's also no secret. We've kind of alluded to this before. At least I know I have. 
there, there are problems with the way they write for Dawn, especially in this first season. I think they carry out throughout the whole show, but like, they're definitely confused about how old she is and like what her maturity level is. And I find that to be very frustrating as a viewer. That's the one thing that has a couple of missteps. I think a little bit in this episode, although frankly, not as much as I thought thought there would be. Um, But it's a little bit hard to kind of, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't, I'm not making a very coherent point right now, but I, no, I get what you're saying. That's kind of my summary of this episode. It's great. It's technically perfect. It's frustrating to watch mostly because of how accurate it is, but also because of a few missteps in the way that they decide to roll out Dawn's character. Right. Like her actual personality, I mean, not like her character. It's bizarre because if you think about first season of this show, Buffy was only a couple years older than Dawn is. Like two years older, yeah. Like, you know. And I think that's my biggest criticism of, again, not Dawn the character, because I like Dawn, but the way that the writers kind of go about her, it's just like they've gotten like amnesia about how to write kind of dimensional teenage girls and make them seem important, even though they're also, you know, like not under, not making it seem like they're stupid for having what are pretty normal teenage problems and issues and feelings. So I feel like this one didn't totally nail that, you know, like there's Dawn a few too many times kind of just says outright, like nobody gets me. And it's like, okay, there's like probably a more elegant way to write that, you know, but so to that point though, I'm sorry, I'm, no, that's fine. Interrupting, but please jump in. I've been talking. I was going to talk about that because I think that the reason for her, like, I agree that it's a little bit on the nose where she's like, you know, having this like writing in her diary, like, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody gets me. But I do yeah. think like the first real words that she speaks in the episode are "nobody knows who I am," yeah, which I think yeah. is clever on that's the show's true. part true. because it's true, true, true. true. Nobody knows who you are, yeah. and this is the episode <laughs> where we're supposed to find out. But like, I was like, this is amazing, like. You know, it's like she's just a little girl, like, writing in her diary. You know, poor me, nobody knows the real me, but, like, we don't. Like, nobody does know who you are. So I think that's kind of why I would assume they're using language like that. I think they're also, they are trying to draw a line between her and Buffy. I think they just go a little too far. I guess that's kind of what I was trying to say before. Yeah, it's not, you're right. I get what they're doing with the wordplay, and I think that you're right, that ultimately it does work. I guess I'm just trying to defend Dawn preemptively because I know a lot of people hate her and I get why they do, but I think it's a little bit unfair, partially because it's not, I think some of it is due to inconsistent writing, but I also think that, you know, like if as this show is all about like teenage, teenage women, teenage girls and young women and how they're important and you know, all of their strengths and weaknesses. And so then as soon as we get like a slightly younger person, everybody kind of jumps down our throat and it's like, well, maybe none of you guys were teenage girls, but that sometimes that's how they are, <laughs> you know? But also for all of that, and I agree, I think the tendency is to kind of rag on Dawn unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to say right off the bat, Michelle Trachtenberg is great. Yeah. Like, I, she, I she blended right into this episode. Like she was comfortable. She that's wasn't true. that awkward. Like she was just interacting with everyone in a way that felt natural. Like I was yeah. really impressed. I, I have to say, I totally think she and Sarah Michelle Gellar look like they could be sisters. Like, they yeah. don't look, a, you know, they don't look like twins, but they really have, like, a weird resemblance that I, I'm always like, oh, yeah, are you guys not related? Like, it, it looks, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. But I think, like, all of that is really good, and I think, I think you're right. I think the biggest problem with Dawn is the juxtaposition to everyone else, and, like, 
it, I think she would already tend to seem younger, but they sort right. of like take it uh, a little too yeah. far. And Especially in this episode too, with yeah. like the ice cream and the yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. It's just like she's not a five year old. Like she's not going to be sitting there with ice cream all over her face. <laughs> Especially when she's being cognizant of her crush on Xander. You know what I mean? Like, if that were me, and I, she's supposed to, I think, be 14, that would never yeah. happen. You know? Or at least not without her immediately wiping. Like, she would have been daintily dabbing her face. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. But I do love the the glimpse into, like, an outsider's view of, like, Buffy's life. And, like, yeah. the, the Scoobies and the dynamic of, like, you yeah. know, all of her her little notes on these interactions like mm-hmm. looking at Buffy and Riley like I bet they've had sex and yeah, it's like that felt true yeah there's like a whole episode about them like having supernatural sex or whatever but like I feel you like have that's no also idea. A, a very like preteen kind of way to frame yeah or but also know. like her like you're interested in it and you want Tara. yeah see yeah. that part I think I think she's old enough to understand I think she probably would get it I think, I think she would and also it's weird because in the the last episode, the Dracula one, mm-hmm. Joyce seemed to not be aware of Willow and Tara's relationship right. because yeah. she was like, oh, makes you want to just give up on men. And they were like, oh, ha ha. Like, right. But yeah. now it seems like she knows. So I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That was a little bit inconsistent. I, in particular, the when, okay, this scene, this episode actually opens with a training montage. Yes. Not montage. A training scene with Buffy and Giles in their new effort to like, be Watcher and Slayer again, but to also kind of come at it from this more like introspective and maybe spiritual um, angle. And so Buffy and Buffy is like really concentrating with the help of some crystals and doing some pretty impressive like Luke st- Luke and Yoda style like that was hand- supposed to hand be hands. a Star Wars reference, right? I'm certain. Yeah, you know, yeah, because she knocks over the rocks, which is exactly what happens. Yeah, and also um, just even the position that Buffy was in. Yeah. Uh, well, so there we go. Maybe they were just trying too hard to make it a reference to Star Wars. But like the fact that Dawn just walks in there and knocks stuff over, like that's the sort of stuff where I'm like, OK, she's old enough now to like she might be an annoying little sister, but I I don't feel like it's fair to have her be so annoying that, that she would literally go and ruin a thing kind of on purpose. I think that's a little bit too far. It's so, like that yeah. was where it's like ugh, right off the bat. I can see how this needs to be like mediated a little bit. But well, no, but, but, but I still, I still like her. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of this is just maybe the writers figuring out what the yeah. dynamic is that they want, because like Buffy, like we said, you know, it's not her best side mm-hmm. and she's a little bit harsh on Dawn, but I think mm-hmm. that the episode think- also admits that like, oh, Buffy totally. says it, everyone else says it, like yeah. everyone's calling her out on it. So the idea is like, we're not supposed to think that this is normal. Like it's, and it's also, I think clever because Buffy's like, talking to Riley, I know it's always been this way. Right. And I don't know why lately it feels so. And I'm like, lately, because like, because it's feeling actually the new. effects of like, this yeah. actually isn't natural and normal. And, yeah. And I think that that is kind of clever to show the tension that might arise from like inserting this Sister. You know, supernatural yeah. thing into Buffy's life. It's not always going to be like a clean fit, even if the magic like makes it seem like it is. But that said, I mean, you and I both have sisters. Like I bought most of their, Absolutely. Not, I don't want to say animosity, but like their quabbles, like it's always difficult to have that relationship. Like it, not to say that you don't figure it out or that you're always at each other's throats, but like that part that, I mean, it feels really real to me that, that they have these, um, 
you know, that like Dawn is really jealous of the, of the treatment and the attention that Buffy gets feels really true. She's this like super hot superhero. Like, how could you not feel that? And then to Buffy's, you know, Buffy's points about like mom treats her like a baby and so does everybody else. And I never got that treatment. Of course she would be jealous of that because she didn't get to have a childhood. So it's like, I, I, they're always going to have those issues. You know what I mean? Like that, that part, I think as much as it's because Buffy's being rifled by this new, you know, new magic that's interfering with her life. They also wrote a really believable sister dynamic. (laughs) Absolutely. And that it makes sense too. Like I was thinking about how, how accurate it is that Joyce would be extra protective of Dawn because she doesn't get to play that role of Buffy. You know, like she would be, she's always been trying to protect Buffy and then realizing that there's literally nothing she can do because Buffy has to do this stuff. So I, I can told, you know, if they had another daughter, that's exactly what would happen. She would be overprotective of her in a way that she didn't get to be with Buffy. So, and also in a way that makes Dawn being written young seem more believable because like if she's that overprotected and coddled, she would, probably present younger than say Buffy because she hasn't had to mature of course so yeah whereas Buffy probably seemed older because she had to be yeah I mean yeah for sure and if you think about Willow and Xander like they kind of had to be too like they were sort of also they weren't certainly not overprotected or coddled by either of their parents either Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I think that's also that's a good that's a really completely believable as to why Dawn might seem like she's 12 instead of 14 yeah I'm also pretty sure that they thought Dawn was going to be younger <laughs> when they wrote her character. And then they cast Michelle Trachtenberg. I read that online this morning, but I know I had heard that before too, that I think that they did intend for her to be 12 ish instead of like 14, 13, 14. Yeah. I, I mean like one to two years, how much of a difference could that make? But I think it, it actually, you know, in those formative years, they can be quite oh, different. 12 to 14 is a, yeah, you know, a pretty big, big jump. Deal. Yeah. So the other thing that this episode does really well, I think is it because Buffy versus Dracula was in some ways kind of its own entity. Mm-hmm. This kind of picks up where Restless left off. Yes. And continues a lot of the threads from yes. that, which I yes. think is really interesting. I mean, obviously Dawn, but uh-huh. Willow's taking drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, <laughs> most mostly that Willow's actually following up and taking that drama class. <laughs> but also, you know, we still are seeing these hints that Tara is maybe not good. Like she gets uncomfortable when Willow calls her one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see this thread continuing. And I, and I'm like to the point where I wonder if they were originally going to take that in another direction. I kind of wonder that too. They ultimately did because they ultimately, like we've talked about before and we'll talk about when that episode Soon, happens, yeah. it goes nowhere. Comes and go and comes and goes in an episode. I yeah. mean, now, yeah, you're pointing it out. Yeah. There's little threads, but it's not. And it yeah. doesn't reflect well on Tara. Like it kind of makes her seem, I don't know, like she should know better than to think sure. that, you know, although, well, yeah, we'll talk about yeah, that. Like yeah. that's not entirely fair, but yeah, yeah. But it's, 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 it's ultimately like a non thing, but like they're very strongly hinting at something here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that was continuing from, you know, restless where Tara says like, you have no idea like what I am or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but mostly I wanted to mention that Willow is taking drama. <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed that too. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and it's already not going well because Buffy's not taking it with her. <laughs> right. I, I guess the other thing that I liked about this episode is that you, you mentioned this in your summary that like, it's a pretty plot light episode. And you know, I mean, this is the way that the plot light episodes go. At least the ones that work well is it's like, yeah, when you, pointed out not too much action is happening but it's because they're filling it with a lot of important character development and so Mm -hmm. it's like it felt really rich even though there's not a ton going on and I think you know to the to the 
like in the ways that like the Dracula episode kind of failed because it's like, well, who is this guy and why should we care about him? You're, tr- you're trying to trade on his name and his, you know, his own existence outside of Buffy, but it just didn't end up working. Whereas here they're defaulting to Harmony, who is like always entertaining, does have a, a connection with this group of people, even if it's not like a super deep, you know, not like a super deep connection, but it's still there. Um, so it's just, and she's just like more fun in the traditional Buffy way. Like she's a much better one up, you know, here and there Buffy enemy versus like Dracula, who is supposed to maybe have some like gravity to him and like whatever. Yeah. Whereas like this felt it just a came lot off like a cartoon, right? This felt a lot more like Buffy where it's like, inst- yeah, it's it somehow doesn't feel like a cartoon, even though it's really fun, but also like dangerous, you know? No, you're absolutely right. And I, I want to talk about Harmony because especially she continues to be <laughs> a villain who gets a fully well-rounded treatment, right? Yeah, like yeah. we get to watch Harmony in these scenes and see her motivation and mm-hmm. her inner fears and desires and like her frustrations when it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And like she's just very well-rounded as a character, which is always fun because one, like we knew Harmony Sort of when she was yeah. human, but we've gotten to know her a lot better since she's become a vampire. Yeah, but she can totally f- come in and fill this role of like episodic, you know, yeah, where it's menace like, or like nuisance. Yeah, I guess, yeah, exactly. Like word. Buffy's not taking her seriously, and that's accurate. But she's also a good, yeah, a good antagonist for Buffy. Yeah, even but if also, she's not I love, super serious. Like spending time with Harmony, like she's funny, and yeah. like as soon as they're like trying to figure out who the hell stole a unicorn figurine. Like, you know, like, it's just perfect. And then, you know, ultimately the the button on that is Buffy stakes that other guy with the big wooden unicorn. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, then we get to see her interplay with Spike a little bit, which is, like, a much more natural way for Spike to enter into an episode. You know, now that he has this kind of weird role in the universe, it's like, this is a better way to have him mingle on screen than, than for no reason because Riley wants to talk to him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, also that said, I, I wonder if this is, maybe they got a, it doesn't make sense because I know that they got kind of booted after this season, but they must've had a better wardrobe budget for this season overall, because not to say that Harmony looks, is wearing anything that I think people would wear nowadays, but I thought she looked really good in this episode. And so did Tara. And like, I mentioned Buffy's hair last episode. Like, I just feel like somebody has gotten like a little bit better control of things. And maybe it's just the. 2000 is better than 99, but I think, I, I think it's, part of it might be the fashions getting better. I think it's more that though, that it feels like they're paying more attention to their hair and makeup and like putting things together. Like it doesn't look like kids dress themselves. It looks like a TV stylist dressed them. Yeah, they are. It is a little more polished, I think. Yeah. But like Harmony wore like gold lame pants or something. And I was like, that is a perfect, like who, who else could appropriately wear that? Only no, Harmony as a vampire. Those are for Harmony. <laughs> yeah. Like speaking of wardrobe though, I had to laugh because Buffy complained oh. that she bought new leather pants yeah. and Don spilled on them. But also I just found myself wondering what color they were. Yeah. And I found myself questioning if they're actually leather and not pleather. I think she's just brag you know she's putting a spin on it <laughs> i feel like i've replaced my buffy in denim obsession with <laughs> buffy in leather pants um uh, but another thing about harmony that i weirdly found myself wondering in this episode is like what about her parents like do they yeah. know that she's dead like probably like what what do they do she's just like running around sunnydale like it's a good question they never ever see. really like hmm. I mean, obviously she's a demon and probably not sad to exist, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, 
there is some sort of tragedy <clears throat> in, in Harmony, right? Like, she did die. That's true, but I also... This might have also something to do with the fact that I, for no reason, watched a few episodes of the first season of 90210. <laughs> but I, I think there is something to the, you know, Cordelia kind of has this air about her, as do all the rich kids in 90210, which is that, like, the really wealthy kids seem to not, I, I mean, this is like a stereotype of TV, right? But, like, maybe her parents aren't that present. Maybe. Like, so I'm, not to say that they don't know or care that their daughter died, but I feel like maybe their reaction was like, great, now we'll just move to LA and do that. Like, maybe they're not around in Sunnydale. That's a good point. Or that they weren't that aware of what she was doing in the first place, so. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking about that, though. But yeah, that's a good question. Like, the facts around Harmony's actual death. <laughs> this is not really anything other than a fun tidbit. I'm sure you noticed that one of Harmony's minions is, in fact, Andrew from yes, next Cyrus. season. <laughs> yeah. Cyrus equals Andrew. That's what I wrote in my notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Good. I mean, he's unrecognizable enough. Makes sense to me that they would reuse him. But Tom Link making an early appearance on Buffy. I want him to weigh in on the fashion. Yes. He gets bigger and bigger every day. I know. His little Instagram. I saw him post a video with Retta from Parks and Rec the other day. So he's oh, like wow. making it big. What, what was your take on the Xander bit? The Xander crush? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, I totally buy that Dawn has a crush Same. on Xander because she's 14 and Xander is 14 as well. Like, you know, <laughs> But I think that's also just like, he's the like reasonably cute guy, older guy who's hanging around, you know? I think I buy it too. But I absolutely loved his dynamic with Dawn right Me from too. the start. Of yeah. like, he's coming in and kind of playing that older brother role. And mm -hmm. But he gets like, to be a little mischievous about it. Exactly. And like, like they're in on something together, mm -hmm. but also like he's, aside from the fact of like, her accidentally letting vampires into the house, right. you know, he's a good babysitter, surprisingly. And I like, agree. just kind of yeah. hangs out. And like, even Anya, like, you know, has like a slightly better side around Dawn. Like mm -hmm. she genuinely cares. Like we see in that scene where she's trying to stop Dawn. From right. Leaving. From running away. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And, and I think he is the only one who's really successfully able to treat her like she's not younger than them. And I think, yeah, you're right. That part of that is because he's also immature, but I think he's the only one kind of making, making it him and Tara, I think are the ones who understand the outsider feeling better than everyone else. So I think they're able to connect with her a little bit better probably for, because of that, you know, I he knows that what it's is like. One of the yeah. interesting things about Dawn is her connections in the group are different than what we've seen previously. Right. Like the dynamics are a little bit fresh. Like it's yeah. a way to integrate Tara yeah, a little bit yeah, more because she yeah. and Tara are really close and we see a different side of Xander. Mm -hmm. It's nice. I, I, I agree. I liked that. I, I, I liked the scene with Xander coming in to babysit and like joking around with Joyce and joking around with Don. I just felt like that was one of the better sides of him that we've seen in a long time. But I also really felt true to his character. Yeah. I, and like, you know, like these are the things that they, they are really succeeding at. I think in on most levels at creating a believable young teenage girl where it's like she has a crush on Xander. So before he comes over, she like gets herself all dolled up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I thought that was really cute. So I briefly touched on this, but I want to circle back to it because at this point, it's obviously, if you're watching the first time through, it's not clear. But in retrospect, mm -hmm. we're starting to see hints at the bigger season-long arc where yes. obviously Dawn, but also her interaction with that crazy man. Yeah. This is not the last crazy seeming right. person we're going to encounter in the next few episodes and we don't yet obviously have the reason for it. But there, again, I talk about this a lot where... 
I think this show, what it's still doing really well mm-hmm. is like weaving in foreshadowing and elements even yeah. before you notice that that's what they are. Like right. you only really pick up on it like when you go back and rewatch. Right. Which is so layered and lovely to, you know, go mm-hmm. back and 10 years later be like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, and to a lesser extent, I think it's less subtle foreshadowing and more like this is just the plot, but the training and her efforts with Giles, I think that's the other, you know, these two things are going to dovetail at the end of the season. So as much as this one, that one is a little bit more on the face, like this episode is about Buffy discovering what it means to be a slayer or this season is about Buffy discovering what it means to be a slayer, but it is still nice slow building in the background of like I think it's so obvious from the beginning too that this is very different from the most of the training that we've seen Buffy do under the you know instruction of the Watchers Council it was basically just tactical and combative whereas now outside of that when they're focusing on it together they get to do something that's more meditative and more like inward facing because that's what she needs right now, you know, and it, and it has this outward effect, right. Or like a physical effect, which is that she's maybe working on her agility and like balance. But I, I liked that a lot too. And also, you know, that for Giles, it's sort of training him as well to reconsider what right. his role is. Right. And right. we see at the end of the season, you know, part yeah. of what that includes. And I oh, think God. that maybe that's... if we don't have a lot of the, introspection and stuff that you're talking about like with yeah. their training this season yeah. maybe he comes to a different conclusion of like his ultimate role as Buffy's that's a great like point. watcher right like oh my god I can't wait to talk about that I know <laughs> and that's one of my favorite things that happened in all of Buffy yeah it is probably my favorite Giles character moment yeah yeah because it's oh, so, so cool it's both <laughs> shocking cool isn't the and right word but makes complete sense yeah yeah Oh, I can't wait. But we've got 20 more episodes to go. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get uh, there. <laughs> I just got chills. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I said, yeah, like five times there. But I, <laughs> I, I liked this. Overall, I liked it. And again, I think the things that I didn't like about it are kind of things that you're not supposed to like. And it's just the side effect of writing an episode that's about like people at each other's throats a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, in some ways it's like you can totally see the strings that they're trying to pull, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I will be a puppet. I'm enjoying the ride, so Same. this yeah. is fine. Like, you're tugging on my emotions, and I can see you doing it, but it's working, so it's fine. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about are you now or have you ever been? Okay. Moving on to Angel. Um so this episode begins with Angel. I mean, they ran into the Hyperion Hotel in the last episode. So I guess that's kind of the impetus for like Angel comes in and t- asks Cordelia and Wesley to like basically do some recon and research on this hotel without really giving them any explanation. Um, of course, we quickly find out through some convenient back, uh, flashbacks that Angel lived at that hotel in the early 50s um, and had kind of a complicated and interesting experience there, which is why he wants them to look into it. So back in 1952, Angel was a guest at the Hyperion Hotel. He was staying in room 217 (laughs) and he kind of had a creepy vibe about him. Um, There were a lot of interesting, you know, L.A. types staying in the hotel at the time. But of course, because this is um, in this universe, there was also a terrible paranoia demon staying there. Um, so while Angel was staying there, this demon was also present and kind of kept influencing the guests to do terrible things to one another and to themselves, um, until things kind of got ran into the ground and the hotel was left vacant for now decades. 
Um, but Angel had a particularly interesting run in with one of the guests, this woman named Judy, who was on the run because she had stolen some money from the bank that she worked at, um, where she had been fired because they found out she was biracial. So he kind of befriends her and uh, he sort of befriends her, protects her from this PI that's investigating her. And as they sort of get closer, um, you know, he finds out more about her past, but by the end of the episode, as this demon has like killed another man and made another guy in the hotel kill himself. But because he's sowing the seeds of paranoia, everybody starts accusing each other of murder and kind of at the end of, at the climax of this, like interaction in the hotel, his new friend, Judy rats him out as the one who did it, even though he didn't do it, but she, she knows that he has like blood in his room and that everybody kind of distrusts him already. So like as an angry mob, they all hang angel in the lobby. Um, after he, you know, he obviously it doesn't kill him because he's a vampire and he has an interaction with the uh, I forget what the name of the demon is, but uh, the demon kind of uh, corporealizes and has this conversation with Angel and Angel just kind of shrugs it off at the end or shrugs off the people that stay in the hotel and decides to just leave them there to the whims of that demon. What, you know, he decides not to protect them because his kind of new friend that he made throws them under the bus kind of so willingly. So back, you know, flashback to the present day, Angel, I think, is now feeling some residual guilt over it. So with the help of his, um, you know, his his own Scoobies, um, they exercise that demon and kill him in the same hotel, which is, as I said, now been abandoned. So and Angel decides to make it their new headquarters. We're moving in. We're moving in. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I. I mean, I feel like I missed some important points, but a lot of it was just kind of like coloring and set, you know, atmosphere for this like 1950s noir episode. But um, the costuming in this episode is really fun. I mean, in the hotel is really fun. Like the set itself is really great. But I just loved I loved this from start to finish. Like it was just super fun to watch. I feel like this is what they were trying to do in season one when they kept trying to hit this noir thing on the head, but like couldn't do it at all. And now they've finally done it because it's like, this one has a great mystery, you know, like as we're seeing things revealed from Angel's perspective in the past through the flashbacks, we're also seeing, you know, Wesley and Cordelia kind of put the pieces together and figure out why he asked them to do this. Um, so I, I just like, it was like a satisfying, not exactly a mystery, but like it was a satisfying plot and it had satisfying emotional resonance. You know, I really like watching, I, like watching Angel be angelly is like my favorite thing. So it's like he meets this woman and he has no problem punching this PI in the face and shoving him out the elevator. But then he also slams the door in the woman's face because he doesn't really want to help anyone at that point in his life. Right. So I just like all of that was just like, I love watching him do those kinds of things and kind of grapple with his more dark side. Yeah. Did you find your, I found myself wondering where does this episode fall in Angel's like emotional timeline? Because obviously he has a soul at this point, but you know, we see in the flashbacks in Buffy, right before he meets Buffy, he's a mess, right? Like he's, he's just like existing essentially because he can't die, but he's like eating rats on the street and like Whistler finds him and like, you know, Angel is just like given up everything, but here he's still somewhat functioning yeah. I, like, he's sad and, like, depressed, but, like, he's to, out in the world and he's not, like, hiding, right? I mean, he is still pretty much hiding, but I get what but you're saying. But not in the way yeah. that, yeah. Um, I, like, do you think this is the trigger that sends him, I like, was just going to say, gutter? I mean, the, the truthful answer is I think that they're sort of retconning some stuff, you know, yeah. unintentionally because they didn't know Angel was going to have his own show. <laughs> um, but I think that it does 
make a lot of sense that if he has enough interactions like this, where he tries to reach out to people and they reject him, yeah, he's going to end up on the street because like, what else is he going to do? You know, I, I totally think this could be the, yeah, the like trigger for where he ends up or at least yeah. prob probably one of many, like this is probably not the only time that he gets chased out of town, you know? It doesn't bother me because I think it makes sense. I, and yeah. I think that I it's ridiculous to think that over a hundred years, Angel didn't have like good decades, you know? Right. Like, yeah, totally. Slightly totally. better ones than where we see him before yeah. he meets Buffy. Yeah. I mean, and that's also actually a pretty, I think, classic kind of story of immortals in, uh, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of this, um, one issue of the Sandman run where, um, the main character, I don't, I'm assuming everybody has read, even though you haven't, I'm assuming everyone else has read Sandman, but there's I've this, read half of there's them. this really great, um, it's like a, just a kind of a short one-off, um, story throughout the arc where the main character is, uh, an immortal. He's the like embodiment of dreams, but he befriends a human sort of, and he gives him immortality basically. And so like this comic kind of follows him every hundred years he meets up with this human to just kind of check in. But as you see him kind of every century, he's in a completely different point of his life. You know, like sometimes he's really successful, sometimes he's not, and he has nothing going for him. But I, I think that that kind of those ups and downs, like particular highs and particular lows are also like, that's a, I think that's a really cool story about someone who's immortal because when you know you can't die, I think you're able to kind of ride those, maybe not able to ride them like healthily, but I, it makes sense. I think that you would have them. Like there would be changes, but maybe they just happen on a slower mm -hmm. timeline. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but like in addition to just like the setting makes this kind of noir tone feel more appropriate, but I also, it's like, this was a great, like they made so many cool references to Hitchcock and other things in this episode, but it felt natural. I don't know. I just really, I just really liked it. Like the main, um, Judy, the woman that he meets has like stolen money from a bank and is on the run in a hotel. Like that's totally oh. the setup of psycho. Um, I, I didn't even catch that. I also, this, I didn't remember, but according to the Buffy wiki, uh, Judy is also the name of the lead character in vertigo. Hmm. So I don't know. You know, I just think it had a lot of those kinds of little things playing on, playing on in the background. I liked the you know kind what? of, I, Think I really like about this episode is it feels like we're watching an episode set in um, the Tower of Terror. Yes. Oh my God. I had that thought too. I was like, oh, this is <laughs> yes, exactly like that. They did a, t a made for TV movie about Tower of Terror. We, oh, watched, really? we watched it when it came out. Yeah. I don't remember. Well, that what was, was just about. Twilight Zone, right? <laughs> well, wasn't it from a Twilight Zone episode or something? No. It no? was Twilight Zone themed. As far as I know, it's not from an actual episode of the Twilight Zone, but after they made the ride, they did a made-for-TV movie that, like, explained the history of the, of the hotel. Well, this kind of felt like a day in the life of that. It did, yeah. Yeah. But I liked the kind of subtle, like, all the people hanging out in the lobby, having their conversations, you know, finding out that everybody there has some kind of secrets or not necessarily dark sides to them, but, like, things that at the time would be inappropriate. Um, and also the way that the outside world ties into the paranoia demon, like maybe it was a time that he actually had extra True. power because the world in general was more paranoid with like the Red That's Scare a great point. and like yeah. McCarthyism. And, you know, like I feel like the McCarthy era, era in some ways, like because we see it at the very beginning of the episode and then we kind of see a little microcosm of it of like yeah. everybody pointing the finger at everyone else right, so that they right. don't get accused. Like she's, you know, they're, they're literally accusing her of murder and to get herself out of it, she literally names names. Like right, she right. <laughs> points at Angel and she's like, it was him. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's actually 
kind of cool. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that was fully the point or intentional. No, I think definitely, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the name um, of that episode, as we said, is a reference to McCarthy, so I think that's definitely yeah. the yeah going who, on. Who, by the way, who's sending Angel mail? I don't know. Darla? Did, <laughs> I don't did know. That, that caught me a little bit off guard. Like, the bellhop didn't want to, like, deliver... The... I thought it was his bill. Oh, it was a bill? Okay. I thought so. But that makes more I, sense. Yeah, I, I thought so, but I could be wrong about that. I, I might have to go back and double check that because that was the only thing where I was like, wait, what? Who's sending angel things? <laughs> but um, you're right. That makes more sense that it was the bill. Yeah. Um, I also, I mean, I, I realized later that it was because of the particular story that they were telling with Judy, but even that, like, I think this episode was, like, acknowledged race and racism more than... Every, every, like, if you totaled how much they talked about it in this episode, it's more than the entire run of Buffy. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I, I appreciate it. I think they did a pretty... It in a, they almost do it in a nuanced way. Yeah, yeah. Almost. I mean, not, yeah, of course, it's not perfect, but I think, I guess I'm saying, like, I appreciated the scene where it's, like, we see the guy who's the, the check-in, a concierge or whatever he is, like, denying a black family, like, not letting them stay in, even though there's clearly vacancies. It's like, that was ugly, but... I don't know. I, I appreciated that they pointed it out. And then well, and I think it's there for the purpose also of comparing to Judy, who well, of course, is yeah. allowed access because she looks a certain way. Right. Right. I, if I didn't make it clear. Yeah. I thought generally like her story was handled. Okay. Like I, I liked the subtlety of like, they don't really get too into like, explaining it. Like she just says like she's passing and like mm-hmm. everyone's, you know, it's, it's, assumed that you can figure out that for yourself but the way where it got a little bit clunky to me was when angel was like it's just blood right right you know? i was gonna say but, when they try and make it a metaphor for vampires yeah. it's like well, but before that <laughs> yeah it was good but i i mean but i think overall they're fair to judy and i think that that was a pretty compelling story about like somebody being kind of driven to their ends because of factors that they have no control over and yeah, maybe she makes some poor decisions, but like she doesn't really deserve to be trapped and tortured in a hotel for century or for decades. And I liked, I I guess I felt the relief of the end of the episode where she finally gets a moment of peace. Angel gets to give her outward forgiveness, um, which she needed and you know, and it's sad that she dies, but But I'm glad for her. I actually really like that whole little story because me too. Yeah. In some ways, she doesn't deserve a happy ending, so she gets the, excuse me, <laughs> she doesn't deserve, like, the perfect happy ending, so she gets that torture, but then she does get redemption at the yeah. end, but it's still tragic because she did just spend the last 50 years trapped in this hotel mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. this demon, so it's not totally a happy ending, right? but it feels appropriate. I agree. Like, I'm not rooting for her to get more than that, you know what I mean? Well, I think I am, but I, Yeah. But it, I, I think it was all, it it's also, also fit, really dark. I was just going to say, it also fits in kind of, you know, where Angel, the show, is kind of trying to be, which is a little grayer, you know, that she doesn't get a total happy ending, I think is more in line with the show than like in line with my particular feelings about her. Shoot, I had something else to say about their relationship. Oh, and I, I guess I also just think that that story was a really good one for giving, like I said, like it's a really good episode for Angel where we get to see the way that he's developed into the, you know, I think the show Angel is a lot about his develop, you know, it's obviously it's about him and coming to terms with everything about himself. And so I think getting these kind of glimpses into his past and the, the smaller steps that he's made along the way where it's like, right, like in 1952, we could tell he cared enough about this woman to help her, you know, initially, 
but he didn't care enough to like kind of go that step further that he now in the present, you know, in present day angel is taking, I don't know. There's just something about that, that I, I really liked it. And it also like, it really played up his kind of gruff nature, which he really had at the beginning of season one. Um, with kind of this, like, as, as the show goes on, you know, I think he gets softer and softer. I don't know. I just thought it was a really fitting piece to the angel puzzle. No, absolutely. I think you're right. Like, I think the contrast of present and past angel, like we see him take action in the past that he would never do. In the well, present. I think what he would never do is leave everyone in that hotel that's, to, that's to die. That's what I mean. Like just right. walk away. That's not something like angel, the hero wouldn't do that. But I guess I think early early Angel, either in Buffy or in the first season of Angel, would probably, yeah, punch a P.I. in the nose to protect this woman, but then also shove her out the door. <laughs> so I think yeah. it was like a good balance. Yeah, it was like a good inter- intermediate step between where he used to be and where he is now. But I just, It's kind of like season one Buffy Angel, yeah. who used to like yeah, give yeah, her yeah. a piece of information and then like let her fight the battles. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But again, I just like watching David Boreanaz punch jerk guys in the face <laughs> and then kind also, of casually just not give a shit about it like that so that sort of dynamic I just really like when he does it like I just really enjoyed that particular scene yeah angel who doesn't care is, yeah uh, yeah he's a, kind gr- of, a good look on David Boreanaz mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. is 50s attire I yes, have to say agreed. like the costume <laughs> I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier yes. but like yeah they all pulled it off really well it was great yeah um, oh, also, man. we get a little bit of interaction, more interaction, I should say, between Gunn and the rest of mm-hmm. the team, and we yeah. start to see how that dynamic might go. Yeah. Um, you know, Gunn and Wesley are bickering, and we kind of see throughout the run that their relationship is you generally cordial, mm-hmm. but not always, like, they're not, like, friends, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also the paranoia demon points out that, like, Wesley is the most paranoid among them, and I think that... It, like I kind of had like flash forwards to like other scenes that are going to take place in that uh-huh. lobby. And I was like, well, if this is in line. <laughs> also I, speaking of that, like you said, like you love the hotel, mm-hmm. but like this feels like watching angel now because yeah. I forgot how yeah. central in retrospect, yeah. like that first office is just kind of like, like there's no associations with it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And like now it's like, you're right. Like we're looking at the hotel and I'm picturing scenes to come and mm-hmm. like events to happen seasons down the road. And it's like, Oh, this hotel, like this is where the show takes place. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I guess the one other thing that I want to say just to kind of not absolve angel, but a little bit, <laughs> um, he does, you know, at, in, at, in 1952, he did leave a hotel full of people to an evil demon and he knew what he was going to do with him. Uh, in his defense, I think he was also under the influence of that demon a little bit. You know, it's clear that that demon can get to him, too. That's a good point. Not to say that present day Angel wouldn't have overcome it and made a different choice, but I think a little bit of it is like, yeah, as much as anyone, he's literally been hung in the lobby for hours. And then this demon comes forth and says, like, yeah, these people hate you. Don't you want to leave? Like, mm, I could see how that works. <laughs> yeah. Also, how great is that scene where Angel is hanging yeah. and opens his eyes <laughs> oh, and then literally like lifts himself up? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Actually, that made me realize why when they hang people, they tie their hands behind their back. Mm. Yeah. Because I was like, I had this thought where I was like, well, why don't people That's just grim. do that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, because their hands aren't free. Yeah. Well, I think also anyone that was a human would have died before everyone walked away. <laughs> right. But, I mean, sometimes when you get hung, like, your neck doesn't break. You suffocate. Oh, this is... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I want to have this conversation. 
oddly. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. I, I do like talking about creepy things for whatever reason. That one's too much for me. But <laughs> I really liked, <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. In 19, 1952, where the hell was Angel getting that bottle of O blood? <laughs> or whatever? Right? That didn't make any sense. That said, the design Looks of like that. from a hospital, I assume. I assume too, but I didn't buy it. Uh, but the design of that bottle, I am a thousand percent going to recreate for Halloween this year. Yes. Part of my decorations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what blood used to be stored in. Yeah, I guess like, you're probably instead right. Instead of like, like, instead of like blood Little bags, bags, like I think yeah. it was like glass bottles. Yeah. Which was way more handy for drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a little bottle of beer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and at the beginning Without of this episode, cinnamon. we, yeah, I was just going to say, we got that adorable scene where Cordelia's making English tea for Wesley, coffee for herself, and blood sprinkled with cinnamon for Angel. Oh, they really are She's the like, cutest. like, I can't try something? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, though. It doesn't. <laughs> it's like, you know, I feel like you want to play off the kind of, like, meaty flavors of blood. Right, oh. exactly. Again, again, we're getting into some weird, gross territory. Maybe but some savory herbs yeah, or something. Yeah, that wasn't cinnamon. the right, wasn't yeah. the right. But which is also well established that Cordelia is a bad cook. <laughs> so <laughs> she's the dip. <laughs> well, that's what I have about these ones. I think you're right. I think these are two really good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really I, felt like, oh, we're in new seasons, but this is getting a fresh start. Like these just felt like better kickoffs to the season than the last two episodes, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, notably in Angel, it's, purely an episode about Angel, essentially, which we don't get a lot of. Yeah. And um, even for the show being about him and notably absent Wolfram and Hart and yeah. Darla and any of that that was set up in the True. last episode. So True. Yep. We're, <sighs> we're getting, they've got to take time to literally like set the scene. Yeah. <laughs> like. Because season we're, one was basically about writing characters and then writing them out. <laughs> right. So now but I mean, like, also <laughs> like literally we spent an entire episode getting used to the new location. Yeah. Like, the yeah. new like set. Exactly. So like they're really starting from scratch with this. I mean, they're not starting from scratch with this season, but they've like learned all the lessons of season one and now they still have a lot of set, uh, yeah. set up to do, I think. So. I think I understood how this worked. So Angel took the money that he found and bought the hotel with it, right? Is my assumption. That's what I assumed. I was reading some online trivia where the Tim Minier, Minier, I don't know how to say his name, uh, wrote this episode and he said that like his assumption is that he sent it back to the bank. I think either way. I like him using it to buy the hotel better. <laughs> that feels more like poetic yeah. in a way. Yeah. What's the bank going to do with, like, 50-year-old bills that have been missing? Yeah. They're not even, like, I mean, I'm sure you can still spend them, but they look nothing like current, mm-hmm. like, currency, I guess. Hmm. Maybe yeah, I'm thinking know. too much about that. I was wondering about that, too. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> well, that was uh, Real Me and Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Mm-hmm. And next week, we're going to have The Replacement. I'm excited about another that. Another great Buffy. Yeah. And um, what are we going to have for Angel? <laughs> First impressions, which <laughs> mean, means nothing to me. Don't remember yeah. a thing about it. So nope. great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Seems like it's a, there's going to be gun, a lot of gun in it. So that's exciting. Okay. Maybe this is the one where gun gets an intro episode. Yeah. I mean, he well, kind of had an yeah. intro episode. <laughs> so I he had an ep- episode, but. Yeah. Um, do you have any pop culture? N- no. No. 
Are you sure? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was fighting off a cough again. So I had oh. this dramatic pause. I wasn't trying to think of anything. I was just trying not to cough into the mic. <clears throat> what about you? Um, you know, last week I said I had a bunch of things that I was going to save and now I don't really remember what they were. Okay. So, well, I know that at least one person took your recommendation to watch, um, that movie. <laughs> oh, set it up. Set it yes. up. Yes. I, it wasn't I me. I still want to watch it, but bringing joy to their life. Yeah. Jordan said he watched it and liked it. So yeah, he, uh, he texted me. Oh, that's that funny. Okay. He very much enjoyed it. Yeah. And I then went home and watched it again. Yeah. I really want to watch <laughs> it. Hopefully I'll get time this weekend. We're going to watch uh, the rest of season two of Queer Eye this weekend, too. So uh, that's the other thing that's on deck. I haven't, I haven't really watched that. Oh, really? I, I started the you first should, episode and then I it. didn't finish it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the first couple. I, I didn't not like them, but I kind of didn't. Like, it's not perfect, but I, I feel like if you watch two of them, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to watch the rest of this. It's still really heartwarming. I, um, I did start watching the final third and final season of Love on Netflix. Okay. Um which is a show that yeah, I really you, like. You but like that show. I think I've mentioned it, yeah. But I, I really remembered watching this that, like, I think the thing I love the most about the show is the musical cues at the end of every episode. Interesting. Like, the song that they play over the credits mm-hmm. is just always well-chosen and, like, fantastic. To the point where there is a playlist on um, Spotify. Oh, nice. And I was, like, looking it up the other day, and I was like, yes. So. But I think I've already recommended that before. Yeah. So maybe that won't be my official one. So. Um, what team are you on? I'm going to be team Judy this week. I'm okay. rooting for I, her and I liked her story. Um, I think I'm going to be, uh, team harmony. Oh, another good choice. Yeah. Just because I feel like, you know, she had a rough week. Like, she did. you know, she just wanted to get some minions together and, yeah. you know, kill the slayer and it didn't quite go according to plan. And yeah. now she's off somewhere. We don't know. And they don't but. give her the respect that she earns. Well, yeah. maybe she didn't earn it, but I still think they, you know, if you agree to be someone's minion, you got to toe, yeah. toe the line. But <laughs> mostly I'm Team Harmony because she took the time to thoroughly skim the book jackets, so. <laughs> <laughs> which made me giggle. Yes. <laughs> is, that is so Harmony appropriate. <laughs> well, I'll talk to you next week. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.